This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Day. And I am Jillian Mason. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Yeah. Although... Only if that healthcare is in network, Jillian. Boo. <laughs> I mean, honestly, how many times has this happened to probably most of us? You find a doctor, you make an appointment, you think everything is just fine until you get the dreaded call from the insurance company that your sweet new doc is out of network. Dun, and this dun, is like a, a new phrase in our uh, collective consciousness now, I think, out of network. Mm. So you are not alone. Just in the past few months, limited provider networks have been making news, unfortunately. John Hopkins Hospitals is one of the most prestigious hospitals in the country, based in Baltimore, Maryland, said that they are planning to leave the Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield network, this insurance plan, which would impact nearly 300,000 patients in the Baltimore area. So we're going to talk about demystify these networks a little bit, talk about how they're screwing us all over, and the depressing history of like how limited networks came to be in the United States. But you can just imagine what it's like to be one of these folks who maybe you're in the middle of cancer care, maybe you're in the middle of some other crucial treatment, and suddenly uh, you can no longer go to your hospital or see your physician anymore. Lovely stuff. So Jillian, let's start with like the real basics. What exactly is a limited network, or sometimes it's called a narrow network? We'll probably use these phrases interchangeably. Well, you know, Ben, I just want to preface this by saying it sucks. It really sucks. And I think most people don't have to imagine what it would be like because we get these things all the time, right? Out of network. Like you said, it's become a regular thing. All right. So what is a limited network? Or sometimes they call it a narrow network. It's a little bit like if real estate agents were describing health insurance plans, you know, they'd be like, it's not small, it's cozy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So basically, when your health insurance has limited network, it, it means that you can only get care from physicians or hospitals that have contracted with your insurance company. This is why, for example, you know, Johns Hopkins could pull out of the network for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, right? right. And so basically, your insurance company, if you receive care out of network, right, it'll either be completely uncovered by your health insurance, or you're going to have to pay a huge chunk of your bill, which of course blows. And then, you know, like the difference between those kind of plans and the kind of broad network plans that I guess we're sort of used to. They were the norm for a long time. <laughs> the, the quote unquote norm. Yeah. They usually cover like 70% of the providers in your local area, right? right? But these narrow networks, right? They they actually cover less than like 25% of the available providers right. in your area. And some of them are even like less than 10%, which right. is crazy. That's like one in 10 doctors in your area is covered by mm -hmm. your insurance plan. Um, and it's super common that large hospital chains are actually excluded. Right, right. The ones who... Exactly what's happening with John Hopkins, probably. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. And so the result of all this is that you generally pay a lower premium, right? And that's your, mm -hmm. your monthly fee to have insurance, basically, right? right. <laughs> so you're paying a lower premium for the same insurance. And, you know, 
one study actually found that the premiums were 16% lower for narrow network plans. It's not as good of a benefit as I thought for having such terrible access to care. Right. But right. I mean, if you're, if you're low income or if you're an employer and you don't want to pay that for your workers, then it's, yeah. it's lower. I feel like our insurance premiums go up more than 16% every year. So it's like <laughs> by getting a really shitty network, we can basically go back to like last year's premiums, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, this, I mean, this comes back to the example of Candy Crush that I think I mentioned in a previous episode, oh, no. right? <laughs> you download Candy Crush from the App Store because it's uh -huh. free, right? But then if you actually want to make any prog progress or survive in the game, there are in-app purchases. So I feel mm -hmm. like the premium is that free download, right? That cheap uh -huh. premium. <laughs> and then the in-app purchases are all these out-of-network costs. So, all right. But we know that the insurers actually love the limited network plans, right? because they can pay lower rates to providers. And it also has the effect of like cherry picking, right? Mm, Which means mm -hmm. that healthier individuals tend to opt out, uh, opt into these limited network plans right. thinking, I'm healthy, what do I need? And, uh, and so that is if they actually have a choice, right? Which not everyone does. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, like we said, right? Everyone has had some kind of an experience with the, the dreaded out of no network notice. You've dealt with this, right, Ben? Oh, yeah. This is my whole life, basically. I, as as you know, I don't. we don't broadcast it all the time on the podcast, but we both of us have plenty of health issues to go around. So I, I see a lot of doctors and providers of various stripes. Uh, I was physical therapy this morning, uh, not fixing my, my busted shoulder. But yeah, I'm in a very limited network plan. It's basically associated with Boston Medical Center. And just like only providers that are like somehow attached to Boston Medical Center. And the reason we're in it actually is because uh, Healthcare Now is a small employer and the Affordable Care Act offers pretty generous subsidies if you offer your insurance uh, plans to workers through the state exchange. And as we're going to talk about later, limited networks are just running rampant in the state exchanges. It's like almost impossible to get a plan through the exchanges that don't have incredibly limited networks. So I can only see a tiny subset of doctors and hospitals in the Boston area. Basically, I think BMC is the only hospital I can see. And so it, it also means that you end up with these long wait times because fewer doctors in your network who you can see, a specialist you need, you're going to have to wait a, a lot longer. And my favorite limited network experience, favorite slash worse, was um, I have sciatica, which is like, it's arthritis in my lower back. So the nerves get pinched in my lower back and it sends pain like shooting down my leg. Lovely stuff. I actually had this probably for 10 years before it was diagnosed. I just thought I was getting like, it, it feels like a leg injury. Like I thought I had a knee injury or I thought I had a calf injury. If any of our listeners are wondering why we seem like bitter people, it's because we're both constantly in pain all the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I was raised in New England. You were raised in Jersey. So it's true. It's, you get a, a side of sarcasm and sass and we're uh, salty pain people. in the ass. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, it, it was nice to get diagnosed finally properly. I was diagnosed yes. by a doctor at the sports medicine center at Boston University. Boston University and Boston Medical Center are like kind of merged. But I quickly found out that the physical therapists at Boston University are not covered in my network. And they literally are in the same office space <laughs> as the sports medicine doctors. They have this whole sports medicine facility. It's like a, a one or two doctors and then a bunch of physical therapists. And I couldn't even walk down the hallway and still be covered. And the biggest problem that this the limited network causes for me is that my doctor, my primary care doctor, 
almost all the specialists she has relationships with and trusts for certain issues are not in my network. So this whole idea of coordinating your care, of having your primary care doctor, she really cares about this and wants to like send me to people she trusts for this issue that kind of share her philosophy and approach to care, but she can't, literally can't coordinate my care. And I end up going to to providers who she's never met, doesn't, can't vouch for them. You know, I don't get any coordinated care. So this is just what it looks like to be in a limited network, which I probably don't even have to tell half of you out there, unfortunately. So. Yeah, that's the mm -hmm. shit. And like, I know we're gonna, so that, you know, we're gonna be talking a lot about like the ACA and how that shaped this, mm -hmm. but yeah. this isn't a new thing, right? Like. No, not totally. It, it's kind of a new thing, but obviously when managed care was like really blowing up in the 1990s, you know, it, it used to be that most states actually regulated payment rates to hospitals. And mm -hmm. then they all abandoned rate regulation in because they thought insurance companies were going to take care of cost control on their own. <laughs> that, that worked out really well. Brilliant. And they, at the time they were doing it through managed care, which we're, we're not going to go down the managed care rabbit hole, but that was mostly insurance companies who actually owned their, their provider networks. So the insurance company owned their own hospitals and physician networks, and all the physicians were paid on salary. So, you know, like Kaiser, the Kaiser system in California is like the prototypical example of managed care. Those really traditional, and obviously if you were in one of these managed care plans, you were also in a limited network because when you were covered by Kaiser, you could only go to Kaiser providers. Now that's kind of changed these days. You don't see many of these really old school, traditional managed care, but that's kind of where the idea came from. And now it's spreading to plans that don't own their own provider networks at all. Um, they basically just contract with whichever providers are willing to take the lowest rates. So mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Wait, so basically then who who today is being most impacted by this limited network? We've got a few groups, yeah. people, right? Yeah, I, I feel like it's gonna eventually be everyone. But um yeah. The, the, yeah. the canaries in the coal mine right now who are I think suffering the worst from limited networks are number one, people who are buying plans through their state exchanges. This is like me. And this means that you go to you go to healthcare.gov, you look at the list of plans, right? That's what the state exchange is. Yeah, it might be different. States like Texas that didn't do their own expansion, they you use healthcare.gov. States that did their own expansion, like Massachusetts, they have a different site. It has a different name. Mm, but see. you're you're going you're shopping on the exchange, and it, it's really I love it, online it, shopping. Oh God, I. Yeah. Can we get a Black Friday for insurance plans? I need like a 20, 30% reduction in our rates. Um, I feel you. I feel you. Although God knows the, what we'd end up with. So this is one, one group is, and really this also includes basically everyone who doesn't have a traditional employer. So if you are self-employed, if you're like an artist or a contractor or any, anything where you don't have a traditional employer who's buying health insurance for you, you are probably buying through the exchange or on the individual market, and you are very, very likely going to have a limited a limited network, whatever plan you end up with. The mm -hmm. second group, and we're really bringing it back home here, Jillian, is people in Medicare Advantage plans. Hey. We did this whole episode on Medicare Advantage. They are also overwhelmingly limited network plans. And the third group I'm going to lump in here, although they're a little bit different, student health plans, which mm -hmm. are, you know, if you're enrolled to college campus, and usually buying the student health plan is like mandatory and they force you to use like the student health center for lots of types of care. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna include Medicaid in this one cause it's just, it's so different, but I'm gonna throw in here a dishonorable mention to Medicaid as well, <laughs> just because 
you know, Medicaid sets, each state sets their Medicaid rates. And a lot of physicians do not accept Medicaid patients, or they accept very few Medicaid patients, uh, usually less than half. So Medicaid, people who are in Medicaid, it's going to feel like a limited network a lot of the times too. You'll have a hard time finding doctors willing to treat you. So anyway, let's go through these groups of like the canaries in the coal mine, the most affected communities, starting with these exchanges, these Affordable Care Act plans. Yeah. So like, I mean, this one's the most, uh, this one's really important, right? Because it's when things really started to get wild, you know? Mm -hmm. And because it affects us directly. And that's probably what makes it most important. To us, right? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> and really everyone else right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, self-interest is important. I think we should recognize <laughs> that. But yeah, so like I said, really started to get wild, right, with the ACA. Because one of the big changes that happened in the ACA is that insurers were actually going to have to sell their plans to people on the exchanges, right? The online shopping piece of this, right? And that meant that they needed to try to make them more attractive to con cons uh, consumers, right? <laughs> Sometimes doctors might call them patients or people, <laughs> but consumers is how health insurance companies Shoppers. think about them. And so, you know, basically now they have to make themselves look really attractive to consumers. And we know that most people, right, pick their health insurance based on the premium. What is that monthly fee? And like Ben said, like that can be a choice or it can be a, not a choice, right? Like if I know that I have to have health insurance, but I know that I'm not going to be able to afford certain premiums, I might just sign up for the health insurance knowing that there are going to be a lot of in-app purchases that I might not be able to afford, right? So because of this, right, it really lit a fire under the asses of health insurance executives, right? Because because they were like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to lower premiums? And then, you know, one of the big ways that they found to do that was limited provider networks, right? So they created this, like, you know, these new systems, right, that gave patient members access to a, a way smaller pool of providers, right? And that is what we call a limited and narrow network. And I have to tell you, Jillian, for anyone who's had the displeasure of actually shopping for an insurance plan on the exchange, mm. which I have, it is almost impossible to tell what the network of a plan is. <laughs> yes. If you're really intense and like willing to do the research, you can find like a one or two page sheet that says like what benefits are covered, mm. what your co-payments might be. But there's some things that are really hard to find out, like what drugs are covered. That's hard to find out. Mm-hmm. And also who is in network and who's out of network is almost impossible. Usually they send you to a website where you can search. You can do like, you know, search for neurologists or whatever. Yeah. But it's just like, it's impossible to tell, like, is this a good network or is this a bad network based on the list of, of people that pop up? And you can't tell, am I going to end up with big wait times with this network yeah. or not? Um, it is really impossible to shop on. And this is also why insurance companies love to do it because it lets them control costs. But even the best informed consumers can't really uh, make informed decisions based on this. I was like shocked when I got my current health insurance and I was looking at their website and because, you know, the network issues are not at all regulated, really. Right. Uh, you know, I found that it was full of inaccurate information that when I actually called up half the doctors mm -hmm. on the list, that they were not actually in network. Right. And so it was a real, uh, it was a real, a real wake up call. Yeah, I think that's the norm. That's like, these lists are total bullshit. Yeah, no, it's totally. It's like online shopping on Shein as opposed to <laughs> reputable <ulcers>. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So basically, right, we have this, uh, this like ACA thing that really like, you know, 
prompts all these uh, these insurers to get into the limited networks as a, a way of life for them. Right. And, and you might be thinking, like, who decides who's in network or out of network? And unfortunately, it's the insurance plan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so basically, you know, they contract with different providers. And again, you know, my first thought was, okay, well, how do they decide what providers they couldn't contract with? And the answer is just based on market forces. There is right, absolutely exactly. no regulation on terms of right. quality of care or even like accessibility of care to people who are mm-hmm. in your local area. So it's pretty, it's pretty messed up. And a bunch of studies have found right, that in on the in the ACA exchanges, right, uh, eight and ten of the qualified plans are um, are limited networks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I think the other group we wanted to talk about was the Medicare Advantage. And again, we just did a whole episode about this, so we won't rehash all of it. But just to remind you. You know, this is probably the main reason why people choose Medicare Advantage plans instead of traditional public Medicare is that the premiums are lower, which is just what we've been talking about with limited network plans. You get that whatever, 16% lower premiums. In some cases, it's actually free, the Medicare Advantage plan. But then, you know, God, we read off all these stories that Healthcare Now activists told us where, you know, suddenly they have to drive like 100 miles over a mountain range to reach a dermatologist or something. Or the hospital that's like right down the street from them isn't in network and they have to travel long distances. Uh, Suddenly all, you know, this tends to go along with like lots of things not being covered as well. But I I really think that, you know, this is how Medicare Advantage plans compete with and are now almost half of all Medicare enrollees is they develop limited networks that allows them to be a little bit cheaper, but to offer less care, all these inconveniences to getting care you need. Mm -hmm plus the massive advertising spending that they do. And l- like I said, Medicare enrollees- Shout out to Bill Shatner. Um, yes. <laughs> for for oh, your great work in getting out the word about Medicare Advantage. And everyone else. And, you know, just like, you know, Medicare uh, Advantage enrollees are in the same, you know, tenuous position that the folks in Baltimore were of having like suddenly, you know, maybe you choose a plan because John Hopkins is in your network and then all of a sudden, they renegotiate and now that giant hospital is out of your network. And just a couple of months ago, back in October, the Mayo Clinic sent a letter to all of its all of its patients in Arizona and Florida saying that they might not be accepting any Medicare Advantage plans in the coming year. Yep. Um, so this is another one where suddenly your, your hospital, your physician can just be pulled out from under you in the middle of the a treatment year, even if you're in the middle of some crucial uh, stage in, in care. And I, if you're at the Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins, pretty much, you're in a crucial state. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean, yeah. These are like intense hospitals where people go mm. when they have terrible health problems that are undiagnosable or, you yeah, know. Yeah, they're like, big on specialty care and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. So I thought we could pause here just for a minute, Jillian, and talk about like, wh- why do we see these limited networks so, in, so prevalent in these two areas, just the exchanges and Medicare Advantage and not... I mean, we, we see it elsewhere in employer-sponsored healthcare, but it's not nearly as common. Mm, I mean, I guess it has something to do with money. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's because, it, I, I don't know, it's it's a little odd, but I think this is kind of the, the unintended side of, or consequence of, of well-intentioned attempts to allow people to actually compare side-by-side insurance plans. 
So both Medicare, you know, Medicare Advantage has to basically provide the same benefits as traditional Medicare, and then they can go above and beyond traditional Medicare and do the things that Medigap plans do. Uh, mm -hmm. But they, they're, they're pretty high, heavily regulated compared to like private insurance. And same thing with the exchanges, right? You see the bronze plans, the silver plans, the gold plans, yada, yada, yada. Each of those plans has to basically cover the same things, similar coverage levels. And the idea was, well, let's let people shop across very similar plans with the same benefits. So that left insurance companies with, well, how do we underbid the competition if we're not allowed to offer different types of coverage and confusing coverages or increase copayments or have higher deductibles or do all this weird shit? And the answer was limited networks. We're going to just crank down on who you can actually get care from, squeeze only uh, only offer the providers who are willing to accept like the absolute lowest rates, and then they can underbid the other insurance companies in the exchanges or in Medicare Advantage. So that's I think it's like this kind of well-intentioned attempt to make like capitalism work in health insurance mm -hmm. <laughs> completely has backfired and created really an incredible degradation of care for a lot of us. So created a monster. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Why are they so sneaky? Like, is there a school they go to to learn about sneakiness and undermining public trust? I, <laughs> they would have to name that one very carefully. The, uh, it's probably I, I like think, the Chicago School of Economics. Or something. I, th I was going to say, I think they call it business school, right? <laughs> 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 All right. So the, the third group we were talking about who are hit by limited networks, uh, students in student health plans. Oh, yeah. I have lots to say about I'm going to defer to you on this one because of your <laughs> extensive, terrible experience in universities. <laughs> yeah, right. So like you mentioned, though, like, uh, I think you just you described this in the past as like a company town, basically. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like when you're at the university, right, you have to buy their student health insurance. You generally have only, you know, you have a choice of one insurance company, right? And maybe two levels of right. insurance coverage or whatever. Now, this creates a number of different problems. Um, but one of them for me was that I was a grown up when I was on university health insurance. So I was like, you know, in my 20s, and I was in grad school, right. So I was, you know, relying on student health insurance for things that student health insurance, the student, I'm sorry, the student health center, I was relying on the student health center for things that the student health center was never really meant to deal with, right. And so I went in and I actually got misdiagnosed with cervical cancer. <laughs> Oh, damn. Because the provider couldn't actually read the test results that she was trying to oh present to me. I, I literally had to look at the document and be like, I think this actually says I don't have cancer. Oh, my God. That is the most awful experience to go through. Yeah. Yeah. I terrible. Like, my that. life is flashing before my eyes. Oh and my I'm God. like, everything's you know sort of swimming in my head. Oh. And I look down at this paper and I'm like oh shit, no, this actually says that I don't have cancer. And she's like, oh, that's oh, it's a negative sign. Better. <laughs> I mistook it for the positive sign. <laughs> it was terrible. It was terrible. But again, like, right, like I had to go, I had this very limited num uh, network of providers. And, you know, of course, Student Health Center isn't set up to deal with grown-up problems, right? It's designed for, you know, you know, it's designed for student issues, right? For students who are going to go home and over the summer, maybe be and you know be on their parents insurance and etc cetera, etc cetera. 
So right, which I think is also a a barrier to students with disabilities, students with chronic health issues. It's like hell yes, even hell going yeah. to college is kind of risky. I think so. It, it becomes a suddenly you're excluded somewhat from the college system too, from higher education. I can remember being in the Massachusetts State House and talking about student health insurance in a hearing. And um, there was a, a gentleman from the insurance industry who actually said that if he had a son or daughter in college who had a chronic health issue, that he would advise them to drop out of school oh, rather God. than taking yeah. student health insurance. Yeah, Wild. it doesn't shock me. We've already bookmarked this for a future episode, I think. But I, yeah. student health insurance is really where the, the nastiest shit gets sort of tested out first by insurance plans. And then later they spread out to the rest of the world. Like I, I remember when coinsurance was a phrase that no one recognized. Mm. No one saw it because no one had it in their health plans. And then they started implementing it in all of the student health plans, at least in the state of Massachusetts. And then it started creeping into regular people's health plans. This is where coinsurance is where you don't pay just like $10 or $20 copay, but you're paying 10% or 20% of the total care that you're receiving, which is lots like of- Like it's expensive pretty fucking quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like sort of insurance. So. Those are the big groups that are most impacted, but I sh we do want to say at the end here that uh, especially large employers, like mm -hmm. 5,000 or more employees, about 18% of them offer limited network plans. I know this because my partner who works at a, a university that's a large employer had just come to me and he was like, I don't understand these health plans that they're offering. Why is this one cheaper than this one? And it turns out that that one had the limited network. So it's creeping into, and I think probably going to become more and more pervasive in the, the broader world. So kind of depressing. Uh, yeah, let's let, let's <laughs> stop this uh, in advance. And I want to also give a shout out to uh, Doug Grimberg's on YouTube, who said today, December 12th, is United Nations uh, Universal Healthcare Coverage Day, which it absolutely is an opportunity to make a fuss for Medicare for all. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Shout out to you and to uh, that day. I know it's a day of action in a, in a bunch of countries around the world, too. Yeah. So. One last thing I wanted to talk, ask you about, Jillian, actually, was uh, surprise billing. Because mm. I, I feel like of all of these sort of aspects of limited networks, surprise billing has gotten the most attention, like in the news in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you ever had a surprise birthday party, Ben? No, I don't think so. I don't think no, so. Well, I've had a surprise birthday party, and it was okay. really, really, really incredibly fun, actually. Okay. <laughs> surprise billing is no, not, not so fun. fun. No, it's less fun. Uh, so, all right. So surprise billing, right? In some ways, every medical bill is a surprise. They <laughs> should call it shock billing. Mm -hmm. But okay, so these are the kinds of scenarios that we're talking about. And, and I bet a bunch of you have experienced them or have at least heard of them, right? So here's a typical scenario, right? So you have a heart attack on the street, right? The ambulance comes to pick you up. They take you to the closest hospital. The ER docs take care of you and they keep you alive. And that's awesome, right? Until you get the bill letting you know that the hospital where you're taking is not in network. And so surprise. And neither was your ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your care isn't gonna be covered, right? right. So it, this is an even shittier scenario that, can, that also happens, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine you have the same heart attack on the street, right? And the ambulance comes to pick you up, but you're smart. You're, you're wise to the ways of insurers <laughs> and you manage to gasp out the words, take me to an in-network hospital. <laughs> 
And the ambulance people know exactly what that means for some reason, and they take you to the uh, in-network hospital, right? Mm -hmm. The ER docs take care of you. You're alive. Awesome, right? Then, surprise, right? You get your bill and you find out that even though most of the doctors in that hospital were in-network, the one anesthesiologist who was on duty, who was able mm -hmm. to take your case, isn't in-network. So now right. you have this huge bill for a doctor you didn't even choose, right? Which is, you know, just really galling. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. It's it's a, you know, a financial catastrophe and also really irritating. So what we want people to know though, right, is that actually this is one of the biggest consequences of limited networks, right? Is that you get these kind of surprise bills. And um, but we need people to know that there is actually some protection. Um, for folks who get surprise bills. And uh, they passed it, Congress passed it in 2020, and they called it the No Surprises Act. Huh? Get mm -hmm. it? Because it's about no surprise billings. All right. So <laughs> basically, this like this bill does a lot to protect people's rights, right? It, it like bans surprise bills for emergency services, even if you get them out of network and without approval beforehand, right? Because again, right, you're having a heart attack on the sidewalk. You're not going to be like, can I call the insurance company and get prior authorization mm -hmm. for my hospital stay? Then another thing that this law does, the No Surprises Act, right, is that it bans out of network cost sharing for all emergency and some non-emergency services. Right. So, mm -hmm. so you basically can't get charged more than in-network cost sharing, right? And cost mm -hmm. sharing is basically what is their fun way of saying the the amount of money you pay, right? Right. The patient, the customer, right? It's like sharing a cake. It's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so basically, they also are going to ban uh, out-of-network charges for supplemental care, uh, like that anesthesiologist or that radiologist or other folks who are out-of-network providers who work at in-network facilities, right? Mm -hmm. And they're also going to, re they also require, based on that law, right, that uh, healthcare providers actually explain to you, right? They give you an mm -hmm. easy-to-understand notice that actually explains that getting care out-of-network could be more expensive, right? and gives you some options available, right? So that's actually kind of awesome, but only kind of awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because actually it turns out that one of the big gaps in this law, and there are a couple of them, but one of the big gaps in this law is that ground ambulances aren't covered by the No mm -hmm. Surprises Act. So you're likely to get that ambulance bill no matter what happens. Right. Only take an underground ambulance or an an overground <laughs> ambulance. Well, actually, that was uh, flights, emergency flights. Yeah, I remember. It <laughs> caused kerfuffle. And so I think that that was, they managed to. Right. Because then you have a surprise bill that's $30,000 or $50,000. Right. Where, again, hat tip to our ambulance episode where this, this came up, I remember. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, so there are still some surprises. Mm -hmm. And also laws like this are actually only as good as uh, the public awareness that <laughs> contributes to their enforcement, right? So right. Ben and I, we work in healthcare policy, sort of, right? Um, and we were barely aware, right, of the protections that the No Surprises Act put in right. place, right? <laughs> And, and so that means, you know, what are the chances of like ordinary people who are maybe not paying attention to the ins and outs of healthcare policy are going to be aware enough of their rights in order to defend them when they get that surprise bill from the hospital, right? So what we want you to do now is we'd really like you to secure the bag, right? Go to the CMS website. That's the Center for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services. Go to the government website.
website and it will tell you about what your rights are. So you know when you can push back when you're being exploited. So we're going to put that up on the screen, I think. It's uh, cms.gov slash no surprises. And that'll tell you a little bit more about your rights. Yeah. And for podcast listeners, we'll we'll stick a link in the, the show notes as well. Fantastic. Yeah. So I... Jillian, I have this theory about how limited networks got launched in America, at least mm -hmm. in these, at least in this, especially the exchanges and the places where we're seeing it more commonly. And I believe I had a front row seat to seeing this terrible experiment in developing limited networks. Ben, so, I want you to tell me this story as a, as a bedtime. Tell me it as if okay. I were a child in bed, um, ready to uh, go to sleep at night. So tell it in a really... Um, okay. Once upon a time, back great. in 2009, so this is, this is something probably most people are not going to remember at all. But in Massachusetts, you, probably most people remember that we kind of piloted the Affordable Care Act here in Massachusetts first. We had what was some now gets called Romney Care. At the time, it was just called the Massachusetts Health Reform Act. <laughs> but we we were the first state to do these exchanges, like create an exchange where, you know, bronze, silver, gold, we'll try and let you compare like to like plans. So this was the first time that insurance companies were really exposed to this challenge of like, how do we undercut and underbid the competition when we have to offer the same benefits? Well, back in, so the, the law was passed in 2006. But then in 2009, this was, you know, around the time there was a there was a recession, 2008, 2009 recession. So the yeah. legislature was going through a big budget crunch and they said, well, this health law is costing us too much money. Where can we save some money? And this will come as a, a total shock to you, I'm sure. But they decided to kick immigrants off the plan. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. So there That's was a, a nice tradition. Yeah. Oh, so sweet. So sweet. <laughs> Uh, so there was a group of about, and, and the shocking thing is how few, relatively speaking, how few people uh, this uh, were affected by this, then they, they probably didn't save that much money, to be honest. Hmm. So there was about 31,000 people who were covered by the Massachusetts Health Reform Law, who, it's all changed now, but these were group documented uh, immigrants who were, mm -hmm. you know, they're not undocumented, they're documented, but there was a rule where you had to like wait five years before you could get on Medicaid. At the time that I think it was fixed by the Affordable Care Act, actually. But at the time, there's this five year gap and people who fell into the gap were covered by the state of Massachusetts under this law. So the legislature, in all of their infinite wisdom, passed this law, uh, this budget act, basically kicking all of them off of insurance. And they were all uninsured, basically, overnight. So what happened was the governor of Massachusetts uh, at the time, Deval Patrick, said he was going to come in and rescue these uh, immigrant work people immigrant workers and kind of create a super budget low cost health insurance plan that they could have so that they wouldn't be uninsured now that sounds nice actually i i, I feel like maybe our, our our safety net plan for uninsured people might have been better than what he gave them so mm -hmm. let's let's not rush to praise right away um but how did, so how did he do this? How did he come up with like a super low cost plan? One of the big for-profit insurance chains in the United States, Centene, because this around this time, 2009, this is when the Affordable Care Act was being debated. The writing was kind of on the wall that these state exchanges were going to happen everywhere. Centene does like a lot of managed Medicaid. They get a lot of like, they specialize in taking public dollars and then skimming off as much as they can. 
to provide a shitty health insurance to people. Yeah. We're on the public rolls. So they're like, we need to get some experience in these state exchanges. Like Weasel, just jump into the Massachusetts market so we can figure out how to work the system nationally afterwards. I love it when the insurance companies experiment because, you know, when anyone else experiments, they kind of have to disclose to you that you're a guinea pig. You are but... being experimental. <laughs> <laughs> but the insurance industry, they do all right. of their experiments on live subjects. And yeah. Yeah. This is like the worst experiments in history that you hear about the ones that are like no longer allowed mm. um but you can kind of see how this so they they kind of rushed in they created this subsidiary called Celticare. Mm, yeah because boston is irish apparently I, I don't know so they called it celtic care but it was owned by centene and this was going to be their exchange plan and they cut a deal with governor patrick to that they would take like way less money but still continue to cover these uh, documented immigrants were kicked off of the state insurance plan. So how do you do that? How do you cover the same group of people for like a third of the cost? Well, they, well, first of all, they cut a bunch of benefits, uh, but then they also uh, created this super, super limited network that was basically only the Catholic hospital chain in Massachusetts mm, at the time, mm, mm-hmm. which doesn't, they sold it shortly after that. But this, at the time it was a Caritas Christie health system. Yes. There's like one Caritas hospital in the city of Boston. Almost all the rest of them are like suburban. Uh, they do not specialize in immigrant care. They don't specialize in cultural competency. Shocker. They, um, they A lot of them don't offer, you know, like things like birth control or certain reproductive health Exactly, exactly. So this was the network that these immigrants were suddenly sort of shoved into. Now, at the time, there was a bunch of doctors at the Cambridge Health Alliance, which does specialize in care for for immigrant patients. They had 1,300 patients see at Cambridge Health Hospital, uh, sorry, Cambridge Hospital, who were kicked off of the plan and suddenly could no longer go to Cambridge Hospital anymore because they weren't covered. They weren't in the limited network anymore. Mm. So they did a little research program First of all, they they did a search on Celticare's website for primary care providers within five miles of Ca- Cambridge Hospital. That found 326 primary care providers. That looks sounds pretty good, right? But only 217 of them were non-duplicated. <laughs> so once you you know take out those who were listed multiple times and that were adult specialists. Of those, 25% could not be reached by telephone with the number listed. This is exactly what you're talking about, right? How the, yeah, yeah. You get a, a limited network that is actually fake network. Um, yes. You see all these providers who are not actually there. So scratch off another one-fourth of those who you call them and it's not a working number. Then of those who you could get by the phone, only 37% of those were actually accepting new uh, Celticare patients. So again, they weren't claimed to be in the network, were not actually in the network, or maybe they were only accepting one or two patients from Celticare. And they're like, oh yeah, we're not going to take any more than that because we're losing money on them. Sheesh. And then of then, the average wait for an appointment was 33 days, more than a month to be seen. And only in all, only 60 providers were accepting new Celticare patients. And only 38 of those could provide services in even one of the three major linguistic minorities that CHA uh, treats. This is Portuguese, Spanish, and Haitian Creole. So Mm. really only about 30 providers for all 1,300 of these patients who were kicked out. So this, to me, uh, so so to to wrap up the story, 
uh, Cal <laughs> uh, Caltecare started out with this kind of special contract to treat these immigrants on a super, super limited network that was almost fake insurance. Like you almost couldn't find a real provider in the network. And then they used that to start selling on the Massachusetts exchange to everyone. Cause this was their experiment. It was like, how do we really cut premiums low so we can outbid other insurers? And the answer was to come up with this crazy limited network with a deal with the Catholic hospital chain, which was in deep financial distress was about to go under Yeah, and they were desperate for patients. So this is why providers do it. They get paid less by these limited networks, but since there's so few providers, you can only go to them. So they get all these new influx of new patients. So I think that this was like this experiment on immigrants, <laughs> this mm. terrible experiment. And the Cambridge hospital doctors who wrote this called it rationing by inconvenience, which is really what it is. Like literally you're getting your care cut you can't get the care you need. You can't find the care you need just by massive inconvenience. Like you have to travel mm -hmm. long, large distances or you can't, you make a bunch of phone calls and no one calls you back or no one picks up. No one speaks the language you speak. And then that becomes a deterrent to seeking future care, right? Like right. if I go to exactly. get, try to get my colonoscopy and it takes me six months, you know, the next time I need a treatment, I'm going to think twice about even embarking on that pro project. Right? Exactly. It has the same impact as massive cost barriers. Mm -hmm. It can be just as similar that you end up rationing your own care or avoiding care that you need because you can't afford it or you literally can't find it, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that this experiment back in 2009, which kind of shaped the early exchange in Massachusetts, then kind of set the stage because that all the other insurance company plans on the exchange learned really quickly that they're going to have to do the same thing, that they're going to have to offer really super limited network plans. And that became kind of the model, the template for insurers offering plans and exchanges across the country. So lucky us, uh, trailblazing as always in Massachusetts. Uh, first state to offer a public, free public education. First state to offer shitty limited network plans <laughs> that are taking over the exchanges everywhere. I feel like there's like a really important lesson here though, speaking mm -hmm. of education, yeah. which is that, let's educate. We um, we need to pay attention, right? To what's happening to marginalized groups in our society yes. and in the healthcare yes. system, right? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, if we, maybe if we had been paying more attention to what was happening to, and I know Ben, you were working on this issue and trying to fix it, but, yeah. but if as a society, we were paying more attention to what was happening in, to immigrants in Massachusetts, we would have had a really clear idea of what was going to be happening to you know folks who weren't immigrants and folks who were on Medicare Advantage and right. So it's like you know that old quote like you know first they came for the Jews and I did nothing and then mm -hmm. eventually right there was no one who came for me right. And it's like that's why we really need it's in our it's in all of our self interest right our collective self interest mm -hmm. to make sure that we're really paying attention to these kind of canaries in the coal mine which are mm -hmm. always minority populations that are being exploited. That is such a good point. I mean, there was no massive uproar when they did this. Uh, mm -hmm. It was like blatant uh, anti-immigrant targeting. Actually, as I, I think the Supreme Court ruled it was illegal for them to have done that. But no shock, there was no massive public uproar. The legislature did not reverse their decision. They didn't pay a massive price, like their constituents going after them saying that this isn't okay. Mm, and yeah. as a result, we all end up with limited networks a little a little bit further down the road. So I, I totally agree that the, we start seeing the marginalized communities are attacked first by these new policies because have less political sway, less political influence. 
but then it start it becomes the sort of template to to go after all of our healthcare basically that's right amen what a happy uh what a happy note to end the year on ben <laughs> i was just i was just thinking we should have managed this a little bit better well you know what i, I know the perfect happy note to end on this i want to okay. thank our podcast team because yes. as you know we have uh this is pretty much a volunteer run aside from you and me the hosts the entire podcast is run by a volunteer team where we're just lending their free time all of our researchers our podcast manager our audio editors are all lending their time to this project i love them so much they're like the greatest yes. people they do amazing work amazing research write-ups the show notes so i'm going to thank everyone who worked on this episode but then i want to thank everyone who just worked on the whole team. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we do love them. They are really amazing. And they are doing this just out of the goodness of their hearts because they want you, our listeners, to know about what the fuck is going on in healthcare. Totally true. And we probably would not be able to do this many episodes if it was just mm -hmm. us, if it was all staff driven. We wouldn't be able to do such a good job. Ben and I are incompetent if we didn't have <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Exactly. Be nothing. It's just like Anchorman. If you had put something really stupid in front of me, I would just read it out loud. But the very intelligent people behind our writing uh, make us sound uh, somewhat informed half the time. So, yeah. So our, our podcast manager, not just for this episode, but for the whole year has been Angelique Davis. Thank you so much, Angelique, based in California. Our researcher for this episode was Lindsay Beish. Thank you, Lindsay, so much. Um, I want to thank our other researcher, Sophia Simeon. Um, who didn't work on this episode, but has been sw uh, switching off back and forth uh, every other episode over the whole year. Our show notes writer uh, is Jerry Katz. Jerry's been doing all of our show notes for the whole year. Jerry Katz! Yeah, she does. She puts the awesome memes in the show notes that weren't <laughs> in the show, but I'm like, oh, this is so much better than just what we are saying out loud. Um, <laughs> and then our audio editor for this episode was Arena Budanova, who, by the way, volunteers from Estonia, which has a better healthcare system than we do. Um, <laughs> so she does an amazing job. And then I also want to thank Christian Brandt, who is our other audio editor, who's been, again, switching off every other episode doing audio editing. The, I feel like our, our audio podcasts come out so much better than our live version just because of the amazing work they do. So thank you so much, po uh, podcast team. And uh, for the rest of you, have a great holiday. Have a great new year. Do not forget to like this episode. Subscribe to the Medicare for All podcast on your favorite platform. And also, mm -hmm. if you get, happen to get into the giving mood at the end of the year, a lot of folks give at the end of the year, you know, Julian. So you're thinking maybe about Ben and Jillian and thinking, like, what would be a great gift for them? Like, what would be a nice gift for your favorite podcast host? Like continued employment, for example. Um, hey, <laughs> all right. So this this is a, a project of the Healthcare Now Education Fund, which is like our educational arm. Um, so if you want to support our work, you can donate at our website, healthcare-now.org. Thank you so much. Happy holidays, everyone. Bye. Stay safe. Stay dangerous.